morning. Our first scripture reading is from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 19, and it can be found on page 42 in your pew Bibles. Jacob left Beersheba and sent out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Our second scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 24 to 30 and verses 36 to 43 can be found on page 1,518 in your pew Bibles. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seeds stand for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The word of the Lord.
there's my microphone. <laughs> Have you ever been in a situation where someone or something has been right in front of you? Something, something or someone with whom you're familiar, something that you know, but you just didn't see it. I remember five or six years ago, I trimmed my beard almost right down to my skin. And I don't remember if it was Auden or Amelia who came into the house and just stood there and looked at me. They didn't know who I was. And they finally realized it was me. They went to the bathroom, found all that beard hair in the trash can and said, put it back on. Maybe that's happened to you. Someone has undergone some transformation. They've been right there in front of you. Maybe they uh, had a haircut or maybe they were wearing different clothes or maybe they got older. And they're right in front of you and you did not know them. Maybe you've been in a situation and in the past has been familiar and it's come upon you again and you did not know it. Well, as we've been journeying through the book of Genesis, I want to put to you this. That in the scripture reading that Brielle read for us today contains some of the most hopeful, beautiful, poignant, life-giving words in the entirety of scripture. And I'm going to tease you with that. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. (laughs) Until we look back to the ground over which we have trod the last several weeks. Now in the Revised Common Lectionary, which is uh, something that the church can use in scripture readings for every week. It kind of takes us sequentially through the Bible. And um, in the book of Genesis, in which we are in right now, in the lectionary, there's so much happening there, we're we're only getting snippets of the story. So we kind of need to fill in gaps of the stories of these patriarchs. So if we go back, remember, God made the covenant with Abraham, promised to bless him, with, with many offspring and with land. And then by faith, Abraham stepped into the promise. Despite his shortcomings and misgivings about it all, followed God. God blessed him and Sarah with a son, Isaac. And then Isaac married Rebekah, and they had twins, Jacob and Esau. And last week, our story from Genesis was uh, Jacob and Esau, they were born, and even in their birth narrative in Genesis chapter 25, you see already the root, the seed of conflict. Even when they're in utero, they're tussling and fighting. So much so that Rebecca realizes that there's something distressing happening between her twins, and she goes to the Lord and prays about it. Well, they're born, Esau's the ruddy outdoorsman, Jacob is kind of the demure, indoorsy kind of guy. I love what the Bible says. He liked living in tents. (laughs) It's just so understated sometimes in Scripture. It's almost humorous. And so in a moment of weakness, when Esau's famished, he gives his birthright, which would have been his as the firstborn. He would have received a double portion of all the blessings, both material and spiritual, from the father. And Jacob gets that from him in exchange, remember, for what? Lentils. Lentils. Again. Nobody in the history of the world ever since then has made that big of a deal in exchange for a bowl of lentils. So he gets the lentils and Esau gets the birthright, but that's just part one. 
for the birthright to be actualized, or rather for the blessing attached to the birthright to come to fruition, Isaac must lay his hands on Jacob and bless him. And as you maybe recall from reading the Bible or from your Sunday school lessons, Esau gets his hairy suit on. And Isaac's eyesight isn't that good. And he goes into Isaac, and Isaac thinks it's Esau and transfers the blessing onto Jacob. As you recall, one of the things that we learn from these stories in Genesis is how deeply dysfunctional some of these families are. Isaac loved Esau. Rebecca loved Jacob. And Rebecca was in on this deception to get the, the blessing, the birthright conferred to Jacob. And when Esau finds out what's happened, he's so irate that Rebecca knows that Esau might kill Isaac. And so she sends Isaac away to go back with her family to escape danger. And so it is in that context that we find ourselves in Genesis 28. Jacob is running away for his life. He's fleeing to safety. And he has a dream. So just try to imagine for a moment how Jacob might have been feeling. He's deceived his brother. The family, which was already dysfunctional, has now been fractured and torn apart. Jacob does not know from one day to the next whether he will live or die. He's fleeing certain danger. No doubt this has caused further disruption and animosity between Isaac and Rebekah, because that is an undercurrent that runs through all of this. And Jacob, in the weariness of the journey, finds a place, puts his head on a rock, goes to sleep, and he has a dream. In that dream, the heavens open up. The Lord is there, and there's this ladder. And there are the angels descending and ascending. This beautifully heavenly vision. And in that moment, the Lord speaks to Jacob and tells Jacob what's going to happen to him. The promise, the covenant promise, is reiterated to Jacob. That he will have many offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him, and he and his descendants or his descendants, will be led into a land that they will possess. And then Jacob wakes up. Now the blessing comes to Jacob despite everything he's done. By proper ordering, this blessing of offspring and nation should have gone to Esau. He was the firstborn. Isaac should have put his hands on Esau and given the blessing to him. But because Jacob then pulled his mother into this web of deception, and the blessing went to Jacob instead of Esau, despite all of that, God still comes to Jacob in a dream and tells him what he will do. If we look at the stories in Genesis particularly the journeys of these patriarchs, and if we can cull from those stories principles for our own life of faith, which, as you recall, is what the writer of Hebrews does, pointing to these stories 
and pulling from them principles for living the life of faith, I dare say we find there's hope even for you and for me. Despite everything that he had done, I don't know what Jacob could have done to mess things up even more. His brother hates him. His parents are fractured. The family is broken. His life's in danger. And yet God still says, I love you. I'm going to bless you. The blessings of the covenant are yours. And in the very next verse, Jacob utters these words that I think are perhaps the most profound, life-giving, poignant, beautiful verses, or words spoken, rather, in all of Scripture. Surely the Lord was here, and I didn't know it. My, my. The Lord was right there. Right there with him. That's what the word Bethel means. The Lord is here. Jacob says, surely the Lord's here and I didn't even know it. See friends, one of the things that this story teaches us is this principle. And we find this over and over and over again in the Christian life. That we can so get caught up in the doing. In the activity. In trying to do this or that. In grasping here and there. In our own effort. In our own uh, ability to try to attain. And yet it is in a moment of rest. When Jacob fell asleep. That he realized... The Lord was with him. Do you recall another story where God shows up in an unexpected way? The prophet Elijah. All these things happen that one would expect God to be in. The loud, the big, the miraculous, the supernatural. Yet it's the quiet voice at the end of all of that in which the Lord speaks. Friends, sometimes the Lord is right there wanting to make himself known to us, so close to us, and we don't even see him. We don't know he's there. Sometimes it takes brokenness dysfunction, pain and sadness, all those things that Jacob was experiencing for us to finally realize that there's someone with us. I love the way the great preacher Tony Evans describes brokenness. You know what he says brokenness is? Brokenness is being stripped of your self-sufficiency. Brokenness is being stripped of your self-sufficiency. When you realize that you cannot rely on yourself, that you can't do it on your own, that you can't make it, when you come to the end of your proverbial rope, sometimes it is then, in a moment of brokenness, that you realize so clearly 
that you're not alone, nor have you been that whole time. Someone's been with you. In the gospel according to John, Jesus talks about this ladder. Did you know that? John chapter 1. The heavens opening and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, upon himself. How do you bridge the gap? How do we know that God is with us? Beyond just a dream, beyond just a a moment of insight where the fog is cleared away and we see clearly that there's someone with us. How do we know that? Because God came down into our world. Someone bridges that gap between us here and the Lord above. Jesus Christ. Who promised to never leave us or forsake us. That even in the hardship, even in the hospital bed, even when there's bad news on the other end of the phone, even when the job didn't work out the way you thought it would, even when you're floundering trying to figure out what the next step is, when nothing around you makes sense, and you don't even recognize yourself, much less anyone else. The promise of the Christian faith is that there is someone who has come down that ladder, who has promised to be with us, that even when we don't know it, he's there, he's real. He's holding you, he's loving you, he's leading you. Jacob realized that. This is a turning point in Jacob's story. Read the next few chapters and you find that things change for him. You see before someone set on deception and getting for himself what he could and using other people. And after this encounter... Everything changes. Friends, isn't that just how it is for you and for me? I am sure if we gave a testimony to God's presence in our lives, we'd find that in a moment of distress and pain, in a period of brokenness, God comes to us. Perhaps we see it clearly like we've never seen it before. And friends, when you encounter the living God, When Jesus Christ becomes real to you, nothing can ever stay the same. Nothing can be the same. Friends, surely the Lord is in this place. Whether we know it or not, He is here. And that's good news. Amen.